0: Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to Film Trooper, filmmaking freedom for the independent. And I'm your host, Scott McMahon, as you just heard in the intro. And this episode, this podcast episode, is sponsored by the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It's available as a paperback, in a Kindle ebook, or an iBook, as well as an audiobook. In fact, you can get the audiobook for free. When you sign up for a 30-day trial with audible.com, just go to survivetheimplosion.com for all the details. Now, the tagline for Film Trooper is filmmaking freedom for the independent. And when I talk about the freedom aspect, it's really that, is to be free of any dependency on anything or anyone, which is really embracing the spirit of, you know, being a true independent. So it's just you and you alone or you and a small team that have banded together that have one thing in common, grit, perseverance, and hustle. And I can't think of a better guest to have returning with us to talk about the hustle, and specifically the hustle of what it takes to make a micro-budget film and how to sell it, than Alex Ferrari of Indie Film Hustle. (laughs) It's right there in his name, Indie Film Hustle. Now, some of you may have remembered Alex from episodes number 86 and 87. It was a two-parter because... Once I met him, and once we were talking, we couldn't just stop, we just couldn't stop talking. <laughs> or let me say, I couldn't stop Alex from talking. And I say that with all you know, you know, fun because since I've met him, having come on the show, um, we talk like almost every week, and he's become a, a very good friend of mine. And together, just you know, talking about independent film and how we can you know help others and help each other and all the stuff that we're trying to do. Uh, moving forward in this ever-changing digital landscape. And so it's really exciting to have him come back and return to the show to share with us this new project he's working on and we can dig deeper on what it means to make a micro-budget film and then eventually how to sell it, how to market and sell it and if you know Alex um, on his site on Indie Film Hustle, you know this is the stuff he just, you know, thrives at. And that's one thing I've noticed. I've seen him come onto the scene and I've seen him apply so many different marketing strategies and techniques to great, great results. And I'm learning a lot from him. And I hope you too will learn a lot from this episode. So without further ado, here's my guest, Alex Ferrari from Indie Film Hustle, here on the Film Trooper Podcast. Tell me about this as Meg. You know, what is this film and why do you want to make this?
1: Well, This Is Meg is a reaction to 20 years of trying to make a feature film, <laughs> to be honest with you. I um, I, I was uh, attached to another project a little while ago and it kind of fell apart and it's, I've been attached to many projects in my career that fall apart and I finally decided to uh, to make something on my own and I know that sounds kind of like oh well a lot of people do that Alex why like why did it take you so freaking long to figure that out well the thing is that there's a reason why I don't have you know 40 short films or uh, you know three or four features under my belt because I always have a level of quality that I always like to have on my projects and also I always put a tremendous amount of obstacles in front of me so I made making a feature film this huge monstrous epic thing like it's a feature film like it's this monstrous thing and i finally decided uh, well i i actually called up a friend of mine um a filmmaking friend of mine uh and i i told him what happened with the project and he's like dude you should like look up a couple of directors and see what they're doing and i'm like well who are they and it was just joe Swansburg, lynn shelton and mark duplas hmm. and and I'm like, all right. And I'd, I'd heard of, of them, but I never really studied what they did and how they did it. And they came from the mumblecore movement, which is basically just grab a camera, don't care about any technical aspects whatsoever, and just make a movie. Yeah. And I started watching some of these movies. And again, these movies were done in 2007, 2008, with you know really low budget video camera stuff. But I just kind of saw the freedom that they had. And it kind of I, – I had an epiphany. I'm like, wait a minute. Why in God's green earth am I – throwing all these obstacles in front of myself to make a feature film like why don't i just go grab a good camera there's a lot of great ones out there that are affordable hell i own one it's a black magic <laughs> you know it's not 5k it's 25k or whatever it is now it's you know it's a nice good quality camera i've got a lens package that i have uh you know I, and i'll just start building out the package to see what i need you know with a full you know, full cage and full mics and everything like that. So I was like, why don't I just kind of try to do this myself? And um, with that moment, I wrote five treatments of movies that I want to make over the course of the next few years uh, because I got obsessed. I'm like, oh, now I'm just going to make two movies a year. I'm like, it's complete opposite. It takes <laughs> 10 years to make a movie before, and now I'm just going to pop them out. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I came up with the idea for This Is Meg, uh, with Jilly, Michelle Million in mind, Jilly is the star of the movie. Jilly and I go way back. We've known each other for almost eight years now. And we've done a lot of projects together, shorts, uh, music videos, uh, commercials, and other things. And um, there's a trust there between us. So when I called her up, um, and she's she's an actress who's been on you know Reno Nine One One and Mad TV and a bunch of different, you know, she's a seasoned actress who's done a lot of different roles. And I called her up. I'm like, hey, do you want to make a movie? And this is the way I want to make it. And here, watch these movies as reference to how we're going to make this movie. And she's like, w-, it took her probably about ten seconds to say, yeah, sure, let's do this. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'm like, great. And it was – we just caught ourselves in the right place at the right time. I'm in the right moment and headspace to where I am. She's in the right moment and headspace where she is. And there's a trust there um, that doesn't come overnight. So that's something that I've been you know, nurturing over the last ten, uh, last almost eight years, our uh, relationship. So I said, well, why don't you call your friends? And she has a lot of amazing acting friends. Um, and she cast the whole movie. Probably within three or four days. Um, uh, basically, she just called like, hey, we're making a movie. We need you for a day. Come out. They're like, okay. And it just kind of worked that way. So within three or four days, we had pretty much an, a ridiculous cast. Um, and now I know you're going to ask me the question, Alex, well, how did you write this script?
0: <laughs> actually, actually, I was going to ask you about, um, it's interesting that you mentioned about the barriers we put on, Upon ourselves. Oh God! It's like yes. as adults, it's you've probably heard this before, but it's like we actually have to do so much to, to unlearn things in order mm-hmm. to move forward. Yep. And I'm imagining, like you said, like your level, like looking at your short films in the past. I mean, their production quality and the production level is really high. Like so, it's like your vision's probably like I'm making something big here. So the concept of big feature film was was always there, but like you said, it becomes like a weight. On you for a while, so
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I did a short film called Red Princess Blues. Uh, that short film cost me north of forty thousand dollars. It's abs- absurd. It's absurd that I spent that much money on it. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. But not back that then, watched- back when what was that? A couple. Two thousand ten. It's yeah. not like it was like you know yeah. oh back in the nineties. No, it was like two thousand ten. <laughs> I shot on a red one uh the red epic had just been released i didn't get a chance to get on it but it was shot on a red one i had an obscene cast i had an obscene crew um a lot of favors uh, and it still cost me it was just such a bloated project it was so bloated but the but the, the material called for it it was a very stylistic very big comic booky you know just big world i literally was creating a world mm-hmm. and um I was attempting to do something big. And you know what? Sometimes you attempt to do something big and sometimes you make it and sometimes you fail. Uh, I really enjoy the film. I would do things a million times differently today. I think all artists will say the same thing, generally speaking. Um, but it, it kind of showed me, uh, and I really done, I think maybe one or two other little projects on narrative, like my own projects since then. Um, and I really just kind of, it just it was always this big thing. Like every time I have to, do something i'm always swinging for the fences Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of filmmakers have that swinging for the fences mentality where if i can make this one short that's the one that i'm gonna get called by hollywood and i'm gonna go make you know the next marvel movie because that's how it works for some other guys um or i'm gonna make this feature and it's gonna win sundance and now i'm off and they kind of swing for the fences and they put so much pressure on the projects and so much pressure on those films and on themselves that it, it affects those movies, uh, and when when I what I learned from um, from Joe Swansburg, from Lynn Shelton, and from Mark Duplass is that they didn't have those pressures. They completely didn't care because they didn't come from a filmmaking background. Generally speaking, they came from um, they came more from a you know a, 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 they, they they weren't professionally taught, so they just kind of grabbed the camera and ran with it. And then they learned along the way. And that freedom allowed for them to do some really cool stuff. And, you know, their work is not for everybody. Like, it's not supposed to be. It's not a mass-marketed film. They're niche art house movies. But they began to build momentum. And then now all three of them have very good careers. Directing, you know, Lynn directs television shows and does her features on the side. Uh, Mark Duplass is, you know, huge right now he's acting and he does production and Joe just keeps making movies like I think one one year he made six feature films six feature films in a year so he literally just didn't care you you could just tell he's like just screw it I'm gonna (laughs) and he actually said this in an interview he's like nobody's paying attention to me so I'm just gonna become prolific so eventually someone's gonna notice me he's made like 30 feature films in 10 years like it's obscene amount of movies he was able to make and he was selling them he was selling them to IFC he was making a little bit of money and then he actually broke down in an interview like how much he made per movie and the reason why he had to make so many movies is to (laughs) make a living because he was only making like 10 grand a movie you know and that's not enough to sustain his family so he's like I gotta make six of these just to have some money to you know pay the bills so uh, I think those obstacles are so so damaging and I think in a lot of ways like I was telling you earlier Scott that I feel like I'm back in film school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a film student again. Uh, the world is kind of like opened up because when I stop to look, I'm like, oh my god, there's so many tools at my disposal. Why am I freaking out? Why do I have to have the best camera or the best this or the best that? You have to have a certain level of quality, you know, and and understand that camera. So if you have a five D, understand the limitations and the capabilities of that camera, and do what you can with that camera right for that camera right for this scenario that you have this is not new information robert rodriguez was preaching this back in 1991 92 when he did el mariachi he's like well i wrote a script around everything i had i had a mexican town i had a turtle i had a dog i had some I i had a police station i had a bus and i just wrote everything around it it's not complicated but what robert did with an he did it in an action movie back in the day but now you could just you know it doesn't have to be this big monstrous thing just make a small movie and that's what this is meg is it's it's this meg is is a small story about what it takes to be what it take how someone who's been famous a little famous how she's struggling to make a living to to get work in an ever-changing landscape i mean you and i both you know, we live in the filmmaking space. Mm-hmm. And how often does that change? Daily now? Like, it's like every other day, oh. something new. like Amazon. Oh, all of a sudden, you could just distribute on Amazon for nothing. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, you and, know, and all you could just upload to VHX or Gumroad and start selling your movie directly to your audience. Like, these are all new things that's happened in the last five years. So things are changing constantly. So her struggle is this ever-changing landscape as well, where now YouTubers who have, no acting chops or talent other than, you know, making funny videos on YouTube. They try to translate that to um to feature films or network shows or things like that where it doesn't make uh, it doesn't work. Just because they have 100 million followers or whatever it is doesn't make it, you know, and like so perfect example is you know, Meg is a girl who's been around for Let's say 15 years, has obscene credits, has worked, has paid her dues, and yet the 18-year-old who has a million or two million followers on YouTube is getting jobs that she would get normally, you know, or getting opportunities that she can't get because she doesn't have those followers. The thing that's the world is changing. So that's her struggle the entire movie. And generally speaking, the whole theme of the story is how to let go and not hold on so tight, which I think is a lesson that. Uh, it's mirroring my life that's one of the reasons why i want to tell the story is because i've hold, i've held on so tight for 20 years on like i've got to make it this i got to do this i've got to do this i got to make this movie big i got to i got to this this This. this and it's done no nothing for me and finally i've decided to just let go and the second i let go all of this started flowing in, and I don't want to get metaphysical on you, but <laughs> I made
0: the cube. I, I think it's pretty metaphysical. But we'll keep going. Okay, That's <laughs> true, true.
1: But all this stuff just opened up, like literally, from the moment I had the idea. Within three weeks, we had a script, and I'll explain that process <laughs> in a minute. Yes, please explain. <laughs> uh, and then within a, a week or two after that, I had a cast. And then with a, within three weeks of that, I'm shooting. So that's crazy. And like even me and Jilly, just both of because Jilly's, you know, she's never been a lead in a feature film before. Uh, she's worked on a lot of features and things like that, but she's never been a lead in one. And she looked at me the other day and we were just kind of shooting, you know, our first scenes together for This Is Meg. And we just looked at each other like, are, are we making a movie? Like, is this, is this really happening? Like, this is, why is this so easy? Like we don't understand. Like everything is just flowing where I've never been on a project like that in my life. It's Hmm. always been this struggle, hardcore, like, uh, you know, kind of uphill battle because you put all of that on you. And when you kind of liberate yourself from the outcome, then – it just becomes so much more freeing and the work is better, you're happier, everything becomes much easier. Again, tomorrow if I get called to do a Marvel movie, this this mentality is not going to work. Yeah, it's yeah. a completely different world. But at the stage of, of my career that I'm in, it makes perfect sense. It makes absolute, and I will always want to come back to kind of these movies regardless, just like Josh Wheaton did after Avengers. During post of Avengers, he made Much Ado About Nothing at his house with yeah. a bunch of his friends. You know, and that's freaking awesome like i can't believe he did that you know in the middle of the biggest movie of his career he's like you know what you guys start editing i'll be back (laughs) he went off and shot for like two weeks and that's it and he had another movie to edit and it was it was just brilliant so um i'm I'm babbling no no Uh, i want to know like
0: so how what kind of quality or in terms of like you're coming from like you said knowing all this experience all this background knowing like how movies are supposed to be put together and here you are putting together a film so quickly and the writing process um, is a little different so how how are you adapting to this sort of outline format can you kind of explain a little more about the 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 story process the writing process for this Mm -hmm. particular project
1: for this particular project I I'm taking a a page from Woody Allen from John Cassavetes from Mark Duplass uh, Joe Swansburg and Lynn Shelton, all of them, um, all have in common that they all just basically, and Kirby enthusiasm, um, they all just kind of have outlines of scenes. So there's a very strong structure of the movie there, but each scene has points that you have to hit in the scene, and then you just add ad lib, and you just kind of you just go go off, you know, and. And because of that and because you really don't know what's happening as far as like I don't know what the actor is going to say. So it's very – the energy is present. You're in the moment. I know this sounds nuts to a lot of people but it's worked for many, many people over the years. And if you get the right people with you, uh, it could become very – it could become really fun. So – Kirby enthusiasm, any fans of Kirby Enthusiasm out there, the entire show was written like this. like he literally just did uh, they just did just ad lib, ad lib and just go off on things and he would find he would find it in the editing room and that was the process. That was the process of Kirby enthusiasm and there were some jokes that were written and things like that, but generally speaking it was all very outliny. So one of the biggest obstacles in my, my way was always uh the screenplay. You know, and I completely, I completely um, believe that you know, you know, I can't, you can't ad lib Chinatown. you know it's not there's certain things that you can't do with those kind of movies but this kind of movie it makes sense if i would sit there for another six months to write a script with jilly and write the dialogue i wouldn't be able to move nearly as fast because the actors would have to be remembering dialogue and working it and and not being in the moment it's just kind of a weird thing like michael lee uh, mike lee who's an amazing director he never writes anything he actually structures it all out then goes into rehearsal with the actors for a month and literally just records what they say in rehearsal and like so it sounds very natural yeah and that's his um that's his process so you know mark duplis when he did puffy chair completely ad-libbed the entire movie like they just had a structure boom 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 lena dunham does the same thing i mean there's a there's a but i'm not breaking new ground here um What I am going to try to do is take the quality level of a low micro-budget movie to a place that maybe has not been. And that's my goal as a filmmaker, as a technical filmmaker, to do that Um, and see what I can do and push, push the technology and push myself in a way that is uh that i've never been pushed before as you saw that picture of me on set with the first day yeah my my rig's pretty stupid it's kind (laughs) of (laughs) crazy
0: well i want to ask you because i have um my past uh, podcast guest and a friend of mine who's a cinematographer a dp um bryce fortner you know he's he did like the first four or five uh, seasons of portlandia up here in Mm -hmm. portland so that's very much like structured that way a lot of outlining, a lot of just riffing between Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownson, and so I was, you know, getting a little behind the scenes of how they had a covered, you know, you know, controlled coverage for that. They had like a a lot of cameras going on, and the first season was all shot in like a 5D, like just multiple 5Ds. Um, I was wondering. Knowing that you're gonna have like sort of an ad let's say a because you have the talent the the cast that's in this, this is what they do, yes, and I was curious by the technicals the you know filmmaker with one being one camera um your editing is going to be interesting because if you don't you know how do you how do you how are you tackling the coverage once it gets into multiple actors? um where you're only with one, one like i said with one camera versus like m- many cameras and how's that going to affect the stylistic uh editing or like do have you already foreseen kind of where that will go
1: I'll let you know on monday um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um you know, I know I'm talking like a crazy man here, but I'm just gonna see how it works. I have uh, my first scene with um, another actor besides Jilly. We have three actors in in the scene, two major, and one comes in and out uh, on the um, on on Friday. This Friday coming up, and um, I, I'm I'm curious myself. I'm gonna I'm, I have an idea in my head. You know, I would love to have two cameras. It would be nice to be able to cover it, and it would be an instant cut. But I think the limitation of one camera will make things more interesting for me, and I think for the actors too. Because if I if they come up with a good riff or a good improv, um, then I'll have them like look, go back to that improv, do it a little bit again, and then lim- so I can get coverage of of uh, the other person, and so on and so forth. Because these guys are professional, and again, I'm using the assets I have. These guys are all super improv like. I'm talking about decades of improv so I know that they can hit beats again and again and again and again once they hit them so it's not I'm not that concerned with it if it was a bunch of actors I had no idea who they were or have no experience in improv I would be much more nervous than I am but because of the quality of, of cast that I have I'm just kind of kind of let it flow and I've told every actor I go look this your performance is a highway and it's a wide highway, so you can bounce around that highway as much as you want, but there are off-roads. And if you go off-road, I'll pull you back in. And that's all you have to do. So th- they have a big amount of freedom within the box that the story and the um, the scene allow. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to let them go completely off-crazy. It has to stay within the vision of what we're trying to achieve with the story and the theme and the and the and the vibe, which is this, this is basically a dramedy. It's not a hardcore comedy. It's a dramedy. So a lot of these guys are stand-up comics, comedians, things like that. And I told them we're not playing it for the joke. The jokes will come. Jokes. I have no problem that jokes will come, and it is going to be a funny movie, um, a, as well as a, a you know a raw and endearing and uh, kind of movie as well. But the, you, there's no need to rush or push jokes because it's like it's like telling Robin Williams, like you know don't 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 be funny but he's always something comes out a little bit mm-hmm. well maybe robin did you know he did have his serious moments but even then like even goodwill hunting you know those jokes the natural stuff that comes out yeah yeah you know it just comes out and you can't write it so that's the the mentality i have with this and i'll know like i was telling you earlier like i just brought back all my footage from the first day <laughs> It all worked, you know. Everything worked. My systems all worked. The the post workflow worked. It worked well. I color graded it. Um, and as far as the coverage is concerned, as far as lighting, because I'm also the cinematographer on this um, on this movie, because I'm nuts. Yeah. Um, the this the lighting scheme is going to be very lighting for the scene and not for the individual. And then maybe sometimes I'll go in. I'll I'll move a light a little closer for maybe some certain co- coverages. But I'm the colorist as well on this. So because I'm the colorist, I have a very confident viewpoint on the cinematography because I know I can save myself and I can achieve looks in post that I might have either screwed up on, on, on set or, uh, or just because I have such a beautiful, clean, big, raw negative, if you will, I can achieve almost anything I want in, in, uh, in post-production. You know, it's, I don't think we're winning an Oscar for cinematography, but it's going to look pretty good for what we're doing. And again, we're shooting out on the Blackmagic 2.5K camera, <laughs> cinema camera. I didn't even want to go 4K because the 4K was a little too too much workflow for me uh, as far as file size. It would have to, I would have to get more cards. I would have to get more downloads. So for this, it's fine. 2.5 is perfectly fine. A 2K Master is more than acceptable. And if I need to bump it up to 4K, my God, that means we've sold it um, and we're making lots and lots of money with it.
0: There you go. Uh, it's, it almost sounds as if when you have multiple actors going with the one camera, um, my instincts tell me that you just want to grab as m- many uh, reaction shots of the other actors when the when the the other act whoever the actor is is delivering majority of the dialogue, just to you know cover your Cut. butt cover your butt in editing for sure. You know, mm-hmm. especially if this is the style that you're going for in terms of um, no structured uh, script or dialogue. It's like you got to oh, just yeah. capture and uh, as much as you can.
1: And then the entire movie is going to be shot handheld. Yeah. So the whole movie has a handheld vibe to it. Uh and with my rig, it actually it's a really nice handheld. It's not like a oh my god, I'm going to throw up handheld. It's a very just kind of subtle framing mm-hmm. that's constantly there's a little bit of movement to it. So right. it's a really nice, um, it's a nice energy to the piece. It gives everything a little bit more energy as opposed to just slapping it up on a pair of sticks. Um, it can again, it liberates you And that's the other thing. It liberates you. If I had it on sticks, that means I'm going to feel like I have to move the camera. If I have to move the camera, that means I got to get some sort of dolly system, track system, um, slide system, something to move the camera. And then when I start doing that, then things get more complicated. I slimmed it down to the bare essentials. And that's something that any filmmaker out there listening to this has to think about when making their project short, feature, whatever. Slim it down to what you really, really need to make this happen. I need a camera. I need lenses. I need a, a rig that's going to be usable, like a, a cage of some sort, Um all that kind of stuff. I'm gonna actually do a full breakdown of my entire rig later on uh, ND Film Hustle uh, on YouTube, so I can show people. Because I've already been getting after I posted that, you had no idea how many people tweeted me, uh, email video. Asked. I mean, the little
0: the photo, right? Just the photo. Yeah, yeah. They're
1: like, what is that? How is that? What are you shooting on? What's the rig? How are you doing it? All that kind of stuff. Because it's like, I think all of us as filmmakers are always looking like, what's the secret sauce? Like. If I just shot with that, I can get this, you know, and I'm always looking for that, too. So when I decided to start looking how I was going to shoot this, you know, I can go right now. I can get a red for this entire shoot for free. I can get an Alexa for free because I have friends. I have connections. I have relationships with people. I chose not to have any of those because it's too cumbersome for this project for this kind of project. I won't be able to run it myself. There's a lot of things that come with it. And so I, I go, well, what's the best quality I can get, most bang for the buck I can? Not the best in the world, just the best for what I can afford. And that will make sense for the movie. And it's not even what I could afford, because I can afford, obviously, to get a red or an Alexa through Friends. But what's th- what do I need? what do i really need to get a good image and i did testing and when i tested the black magic i was just like blown away and i had never really shot raw i've only shot prores with it when i shot the raw i got into color i got into my davinci and i was like oh shoot like i'm good like i could create all sorts of cool stuff with this because it's such a fat negative a lot of stops and stuff like that and my first scene as you saw some clips from my pitch video was bright sunlight on white <laughs> And nothing was blown out. Yeah, nothing was blown out. You know, and it's not like I it, it, all the information was there. You know, so and I had one light. I had one China ball, one three fifty China ball. <laughs> that was it. And open windows. That was my lighting scheme of the day. And I would just move the China ball in and out depending on how close or how far I was from from Jilly uh, in the scene. Was so. it a
0: daylight bulb?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Daylight bulb, five. I think it's 5600K. I'm not sure. I think it's mm-hmm. a 5600. It's a photo bulb. Um, and it's a 24 inch uh, China ball. And it's beautiful. And I just got, um, I just ordered uh, some uh, L- LED panels uh, that put out about 600 watts yeah. uh, of light. Very, um, if I, t- I mean, it, it costs 70 bucks. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah yeah uh and very well reviewed yeah i'm a i'm a, i before i buy anything i i check fifteen review sites i check youtube i i i do a lot of research before I buy anything that's how come I was able to buy my rig I'll tell you what my whole rig runs not including the camera which i also got on on eBay cheaper than normal but uh i got the whole rig i think with batteries and everything under two grand wow. Yeah, for, for an entire rig with yeah. a with a support bowl, you know, so I could put it around my waist and 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 last all day. I lasted six hours and I didn't really feel. I felt a little bit sore, but nothing like like if I was really hand holding it all damn time. Right, right.
0: Now knowing you, <laughs> it's uh, you know just making the movie is not enough. Like, what are you planning for the release uh, marketing? Uh, like what are the like this? What are the nitty gritty uh, details of sort of how you're taking this film to the next level in terms of um, you know online presence and online marketing?
1: I I only plan to show it to you guys and, and <laughs> um, I I wasn't even thinking about money. That um, that sir is not Alex Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea about what you talk about marketing. I, I'm just going to put it to some festivals and see what happens. Yeah
0: <laughs> um, Well, let's talk about that. Most filmmakers do that they that's finish exactly a what film. Most filmmakers do. Okay, let's get into like what are what are the the things that we see on a common basis that are just I don't know glowing mistakes that filmmakers make regularly uh, in terms first, of marketing and just all that kind of stuff.
1: All right, so first and foremost i've uh, I've never made a feature film before. So it's brand new to me, this co- the whole workflow as far as marketing, prepping it, everything like that. In my olden days, when I did my first short films, um, I made so much material. I had literally broken my first short film, had so much material, we released a book. <laughs> we literally <laughs> released a book on Amazon on the making of it, pictures, scripts, story. I mean, I must have had... Just, I literally had about 150 pages worth of artwork designed for... I mean, I built this thing to such a monumental scale, and it was a little $8,000 short film. Um, that mentality is something that works for that kind of movie. For this movie, uh, I, I'm taking a little bit different approach. But first, before I get into my approach with this, first things, most filmmakers don't ever think about marketing. They don't ever think about how they're going to sell it. They don't ever think about how they're going to promote it or how they're even going to get the word out on it? They have no idea, none whatsoever. I've I've finished uh, over fifty movies in my day, meaning uh, feature films that I've either color graded, post production supervised, edited, um, or um, colored. And it is it's blaring to me, and it's so sad to see. It was one of the reasons why I opened up indie film hustle because I kept seeing filmmakers come through the door, spend. Sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes even millions of dollars with a list cast have no idea what they're going to do with it none none whatsoever they just try to they just try to go down the the pipeline of traditional stuff, and they just had no idea how to do anything
0: they're so focused on just finishing
1: it that well, because it was a monumental task, yeah. and again that's the whole process of the monumental task of making a movie when you need to have this, you need to have this crew member, you need to have this thing and this thing and this thing. And a lot of times you don't. And again, it, te- it all depends on the story you're trying to tell. If I was telling an action movie, this might not work as well, the storyline, mm-hmm. uh, this this way of, that I'm shooting it. But I've designed this movie specifically. My next movie is designed this way as well. I have probably, and that one's a, it's, it's a level up. And then the next one after that is another level up. Meaning I'll probably need more people, a little bit more money to make certain things happen till I get to the fourth one uh, or the fifth one that's going to be much bigger where there's going to be – I have to go to fly out and locations and things like that. But I'm doing it in steps and I'm not trying – and not one of these movies I'm throwing all the weight of my entire career on. (laughs) I'm just making the work. I'm just doing the art. I'm just doing the art. I'm creating the art and doing the work. So So,
0: So why wouldn't you just like finish it and enter it into film festivals and see what happens?
1: Well, because filmmakers – because – I know you laugh because you and I –
0: <laughs> I know what you're going to say, but I'm just curious. I was like, I'm going to ask you that. Why wouldn't you just do that? Because that is really the only plan that most filmmakers we know or out there, they finish something, they want they get want to get into some film festivals and see what happens. So why wouldn't you want to do that?
1: Because you, you leave the control of your movie to an unknown entity, and it's unqu- unquantifiable. It's uncontrollable. You can't control what Sundance, Slamdance, Turek, Becca, South by Southwest, Austin, any of any festivals are going to do. You might be a, a festival darling. You might never get a festival screening because your movie doesn't fit in there and there's a whole course on this <laughs> 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 that me and uh, Chris Holland from Film Festival Secrets created just specifically about film festivals and the entire process of film festivals um, about submitting and so on. So there's, there's, you're, you're leaving your, 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 um your destiny up to somebody else. And I'm not that kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy that likes to have control of his own destiny. Um, and that's why I've been working for myself for the last, pretty much the last 20 years, because I like to control what I, I don't want somebody else telling me what I can and cannot do, especially with my art. And I'm not going to, leave it up to somebody else hey don't get me wrong when This Is Meg is over it's going straight to Sundance it's go- and there's a reason why I started shooting it now because I'm prepping it for Sundance because I'm like one of every other filmmaker out there making their movie I'm going to submit it to Sundance I'm going to submit it to Slamdance I'm going to submit it to Cannes I'm going to submit it to uh, uh, Toronto's too late but um, to South by Southwest to uh, Tribeca I'm going to submit it to all of them of course why wouldn't I um, because I think this movie makes sense for those festivals And there's a chance that it could get picked up because of many different reasons. But when you as a filmmaker just make a movie, finish it, and submit it to festivals and hope and pray, man, you're taking such a huge risk because you're risking all those people's money that vested in your movie. Uh, If you're doing it, if you're independently wealthy, go, God, knock yourself out, do whatever the hell you want. If you've crowdfunded your entire movie... And you don't really care about how much money it makes, well, fine, do it, whatever you want. But if you're like most of the other one, most of the rest of us, and even if you crowdfund the movie, you still want to make money with the movie because a movie that doesn't make money is not going to get you a job later, if that's your goal, if your goal is to become a working filmmaker, um, if your goal is just to create art and put it out there, then my God, go for it. So how do um, you
0: mitigate the risks if you, how do you take more control in your hands? Uh, you
1: create you create an audience you create an audience it's something that you preach out from the top of the hills all the time you've got to create an audience uh you have to and 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 that takes time guys it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight you know the audience i've built up with indie film hustle it's, it's taken me obscene amounts of time uh and obscene amounts of energy to do so and that's my audience my audience is the indie filmmaking uh hustle audience my tribe that i'm hoping will support what I'm doing, and I've, and at the end of that, I'll talk to you guys later about what I'm doing for um, for filmmakers as well. With this is Meg, but uh, that's my audience. So I'm hoping that that will happen. And I, I've actually created an audience based around a brand and myself because the brand is associated with me so closely that it's both of us, uh, as opposed to creating a, a following based on a movie. Because when you do a movie, it's at, at the end of that road. What do you do with that audience? How about if you make a comedy first and the next movie is a horror movie? Well, that audience might not want to travel with you. But if you build an audience around yourself as a filmmaker or a production company or a brand of some sort, then that company or that that those fans will follow you project to project to project um, and go from there. So that is – the that step one is to create that audience. Step two is start engaging with that audience and start building – this audience up uh in a way that when you're ready to make a movie that you can start asking them for help with it but you don't just ask for help you have to give something back and that's one of the biggest mistakes filmmakers make especially with crowdfunding which is something i'm hoping not to do with my crowdfund is like give me money give me money give me money give me money but you're not giving any value for that you the, the whole i'm a starving filmmaker thing no one gives a crap mm-hmm you know that that was cool like 10 years ago when there was five guys doing it now our inboxes in our fit, twitter feeds and our facebook feeds are constantly being jammed up with support my crowdfunding campaign support my crowdfunding campaign so you know what i'm hoping to do with this one is to provide a tremendous amount of value for that support and and that's what i'll be doing uh, Let me
0: you um why doesn't it work when we see it all the time on all social media uh instagram facebook uh, twitter snapchat, snapchat whatever it might be it's just simply we see a link that says check out my crowdfunding campaign here's the oh, link Jesus. yeah or if they finish the film check out my film there's a link or mm-hmm. uh give me a like and i'll like yours back
1: yeah, like okay
0: why why does that stuff not work
1: because it doesn't. It, because it does <laughs> no, 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 I, I mean, I mean, no, no, I want to get
0: into the like, the, I want us to psychology? dig deeper in the psychology okay. why that doesn't work. So, which one first? Uh, either one. Like, if we see that,
1: because we see it all the time. We see. Okay, so, please support my campaign. Yeah. This is uh, the campaign I, I, one. Okay. So, basic, basic social media 101. Um, I'm going to give you a huge, monstrous tip here. So, everyone listening, play attention. If you're in a room, if if I'm in a room with Scott. And I've never met Scott in my life. And I walk up to Scott in that room and go, Scott, give me money for my movie. That's exactly the same as you saying, hey, support my movie. You've built no relationship with me and you're providing no value to me. Now, same scenario. I go to Scott. I start talking to Scott. I go, Scott, how are you doing? What are you doing here? What's going on? And slowly but surely by building a relationship, which could be in the course of the conversation, or it could be in a course of months, of, of, of weeks of phone calls, or um, we start building a friendship. We start building a relationship to the point where now, in that relationship, I've provided value to you in one way, shape, or form. When I go to Scott and I go, Scott, man, you know, we're friends. I'm doing this movie. Can you help me out? That's a very different conversation than, hey, Scott, I've never met you before. Give me some money. So, There's that personal relationship, and then there's also the I-provide-value relationship, meaning I'll give you, give you, give you, give you value, and then I'll ask. So it's the whole Gary Vanderchuk jab-jab. Three jabs, jabs. one right hook. Yeah, (laughs) jab-jab-right hook. Jab-jab-jab-right hook, which means jab-jab-jab is free-free-free value, and then you go right hook means you ask for something. And that's basically what it is. If if anyone – any filmmaker out there should go read uh, Jab-jab-right hook. Jab, 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 right hook. It's a great, great book about this specific thing. Um, And that's that's social media 101. That's why social media accounts who are constantly just tweeting out the same crap don't grow. You have to provide value. You have to create something that they want, whether that be humor. You could be the funny dude. You could be bringing a smile to their face. I watch screen junkies on YouTube (laughs) religiously every week. Because they do a show called Honest Trailers. And anyone who hasn't seen it, you have to go to... And I I don't know them. They don't know me. But I absolutely love Screen Junkies. Because I go every week and I see what movie they've, they've spoofed in their trailers. And they're hilarious. They provide value to me every week by entertaining me. So that could be something you could do, whether that be through little funny posts, through memes, through inspirational uh, quotes. It could be a million different ways. But you have to provide some sort of value. And it has to be... A heartfelt value. So that's why things like create, you know, I like you, you like me back. It's kind of like, really dude, like I don't even know you. You're asking me to do like scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. That's again, something you do with a, a different relationship. You know, like if it's a friend, like, Hey dude, I'll hook you up. If you hook me up, that's a different scenario, but you, you can't do that right up front. It's like asking a girl to sleep with her before you have even gone out on a date. <laughs> you, you know, you don't do that. you got to wine and dine before you ask that that question.
0: So as always, there's give, 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 and then you can ask. Um, yeah. And like, so the other things that you mentioned, like Screen Junkies, they provide value. It's funny and it's it's quality, you know, content. Um, so if somebody had like a, um, I did an interview, which I have to still release the the podcast episode, but. They did like a family film about dogs and animals and stuff like that. So they they're gonna
1: could, be they're gonna be huge, by the way. That's gonna make millions of dollars. I'm not joking. <laughs> like I've been told, everybody like you want to make money in the movies business, make movies about dogs and family movies about dogs. There you go. I just ha- that's it. No, you make family movies about dogs, sold. So before they even make it, if they had
0: um, like on like Facebook or Instagram, they're just sharing cute pictures of dogs yep. and puppies. Done. So it's give, 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 that's and smart. then. Say you can give the ask like, hey, we're actually making our own movie, a family movie about a dog. Would you please say, you know, we encourage you to take a look at this uh, link. You know, that way it's like, oh, I've seen this person, I like this person. Every time they share something, yeah, I'll take a link, take a look. So that's Mm -hmm. what you're saying about give, 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 and then ask.
1: So, Mm -hmm. so anyway. But also, With all this said, Scott, and, and this is something I want to really uh, impress upon the audience, the, the everything that I talk about, everything I talk about on Indie Film Hustle, everything you talk about, about building your audience and things like that, this works up to a certain level. So in other words, unless your audience is at a massive level like a Tim Ferriss or a Pat Flynn or one of these big internet marketing guys or or Gary vanderchuk who has millions of followers – Your followers will be based about how much money you can raise or how many things you can sell as far as selling your movie is concerned. So if you've got 2,000 people on Twitter and you have a half a million dollar budget film, this is not going to work with you. It's not. This concept will not work. You will not make your money back. It's not not feasible at that point. You have to have an audience big enough to support the kind of project or, or product that you're trying to sell. So with me, I'm making a very let's call it under a hundred thousand uh, dollars movie, um, that it's, uh, it's something that's doable in this marketplace. So as a distribution plan for me is we're going to make our movie. We're going to submit it to some film festivals. Uh, we're going to, um, going can submit it to some film festivals and we're also going to start seeing how that, that track works. We'll reach out to a few distributors that we know, see how that track works. Um, and then we'll also start distributing it ourselves, um, leveraging hopefully some film festival screenings and selling it ourselves. And the way we're packaging it all up, hopefully we'll be able to make our money back and hope not only make our money back, but make a, hopefully a profit um, and be successful. So, so if I can make three or four times my money, I'm. if I can make double my money, I'd be ecstatic. That means yeah. we've succeeded. If you can make your money back as a filmmaker, you succeeded, but that's not sustainable. It's about hopefully doubling or tripling your money, if not on onward and upward. You know, I've been able to monetize my short film Broken for ten years. And I'm still I'm still monetizing it, you know, and it's a little short film. So that's that plan. Go ahead, sir.
0: I was gonna ask you with Meg, so what is the or this is Meg, the movie, this is Meg. What um what do you have in store for, you know? Value that you're going to give more value. So t- t- everything that we just talked about, how are you applying this to your this next movie of yours?
1: Well, this is Meg. I'm going to do something that I haven't seen before, um, and I'm sure it's i sure it exists out there, but not in today's world. Um, where I'm going to give the uh, the audience or the members of this membership site we've created a membership site called the Indie Film Syndicate. Which is uh, an access to not only about 40 hours of online filmmaking courses and um, marketing courses and social media courses and the film festival courses and all this kind of stuff, uh, but you'll also have a window into the making of This Is Meg and not as a like passive behind the scenes kind Of DVD extra bullshit. Sorry, they made a curse. Um, it's okay, but I'm, I'm, okay. I'm
0: that kind of a podcast. <laughs>
1: oh, oh, you're a Sorry, <laughs> uh, you are threatening. No, uh, yeah. so, um, so, um, your threatening image just threw me off. I threw you off. Uh, we were talking about uh, this
0: the, the indie film syndicate. Yeah, what yeah, is this film's- membership?
1: So the membership, so you're going to get a window into the making of This Is Meg and you're going to be able to I'm going to try to be doing a once a month if not more webinar explaining to everybody where I'm at in the process of where we're making the movie at that time. So it's going to go through all the way through how to create an LLC to how we're selling it. And we're going to go through the whole process. This is a year at least if not longer of this entire process. And while I'm After this movie is done and we start going into the film festival, I'm already prepping the next movie and getting that set up because I'm not going to sit around for two years waiting for something to happen with This as Meg. I'm going to make my next movie while I'm marketing and selling this one and building that community. So once I have uh, people involved in the indie film syndicate, I know I would be as a filmmaker be extremely interested in watching um, someone make a micro budget film with a very minimal crew. Crew, meaning me, uh, and the boom operator, um, uh, and see how they actually do it, and see the whole process. And that's something I would pay money for to see. And it's a very affordable right now. We're going to come out at seventeen bucks for a month, and one hundred and eighty-five bucks for the year. And if you donate to our crowdfunding campaign, which is out um, June twenty-first, um, you'll get special deals. Like you'll, you know, for I forgot the incentive exact incentive, but it's like if you spend a hundred. 150 bucks you'll get a full year as opposed to 185 plus a whole bunch of other extras uh, and and you know you'll get certain amount of months access for free, included it with a, a donation so it's a better deal than if you just bought it directly from the the site to help help raise money because all the money that we make from the indie film syndicate we're going to be putting towards making the movie you know and making uh, and making the best movie we can. So we're coming out with a $15,000 ask um, right now which is extremely minimal for production. Um, and we might come back out for post. Um, I know I own a post-production company, but I don't own an audio facility. So we need good audio. We have a, a good composer and things like that. But I'm creating that value for the audience. I'm creating a, a window into something that most filmmakers would kill to see. I would kill to see that. Um, so I'm hoping that other filmmakers will be uh, interested to see, not just the making of it, the technical making of it, the marketing of it, the explanation of the mentality of why I had a photo shoot for the poster before I ever had the script finished you know that's my mind yeah <laughs> like for me it's not a movie until it's a poster <laughs> that's like that's my mentality and now because of that imagery that I was able to create now the film has been taken a little bit more seriously because oh there's a poster it's so it's so weird but it's psychological because you associate a po- movie poster with a finished movie. So when you have a movie poster at the beginning of a process, people start taking it a little bit more seem like oh this seems like it's going to happen because there's a poster. Um you know, which is BS in a lot of ways because I you know, you can spend money to make a poster and the movie will never get made. There's many of that over the years, but for for me and for what I'm doing it makes sense. And it's always made sense for all my projects I've always had movie posters before the movie was ever even finished. So that's yeah. how I provide writing value yeah a lot of filmmakers
0: probably you know the worst like here's some worst mistakes for um you know developing posters is grabbing like frame grabs from the actual movie yes. it's uh it looks terrible it looks cheap um yep. i mean if it's let's say that it can't always be that way but most of the time i think like 95 of the time it works that way um most of the time up uh, doing it properly you do have a separate photo shoot um, for the the design of the poster. Um, I don't know your experience. Is that what you've seen yourself?
1: Oh yeah, I've seen. Oh god, the posters I've seen in my life are just. <laughs> oh my god, just horrendous, horrendous stuff. And you have to understand that the the world out there is going to look at your movie through your poster and your trailer. Those are the two things. Those are the two fishing lines. The the um the things that people will look at. For your movie and, 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 and ch- check to see if it's even worth their time to look at is the trailer and the poster. If those two things don't look polished, you'll lose 90% of your audience right away because there's just too much noise out there. So that's a big distinguishing factor. So like I get constantly emailed and messaged posters and movies to promote and when I look at the, uh, the first thing I always look at, I'm like if they sent me a poster, I'm like, nope. Not even going to look at it. If they didn't take the time to make a good poster, I'm not going to look at it. Because generally speaking, if you didn't take time to make a good poster, that means you're not taking the whole craft seriously, in my opinion. Because even the best Academy Award Sundance winning movies, they all had a decent poster. And it doesn't have to be a huge, monstrous thing. I mean, I know of a movie that won Sundance that took a still screen from from their movie, and it worked. So, But it was perfect it was a perfect scenario. Would I use that for a theatrical release? No. But it looked professional. It looked like a designer did it. And you could always go to like 99designs.com or a million different places to have a designer design your movie poster for you. Yeah. And or go to
0: Jason Buff at Indie Film Academy. Uh, he does Jason that. Jason Buff
1: <laughs> over at Indie Film Academy. He's awesome. He's I've seen some of his posters. They're great. Um and they could do it. and you can get them done fairly inexpensively. Very inexpensive. I mean considering speaking. And by the way, when you see when I say photo shoot it sounds really impressive, <laughs> but basically it was me, Jilly, in the back room of my office where I threw up a couple of lights and I had a wooden background and she came dressed and she did her own makeup. <laughs> Sorry. Dress. I'm glad dressed, she came eating. dressed. <laughs> you know what I mean? dressed for the photo shoot, you sick perverted. <laughs> no, um, she came camera ready, as I, Thank as I, as I there say. There you okay. Camera she, ready. She, she came camera ready. I didn't I didn't know I was a National Lampoon's film trooper. Um, <laughs> so um and I took pictures with my Canon TSI, like that's like a 8-year-old DSLR camera. You know, TSI? So yeah, probably. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like I got it when I first got out to LA. So it was like okay. 8 years old. And I shot with that. And boom, and I and then I sent it over to my buddy who's a designer and he cleaned it up for me and it looked it came out with the poster, and I, and you'll have a poster in the show notes if you want to to show people oh, what please. the poster the, yes. final looks, the final poster looks like. So that's the that was the the idea with the poster, man. But I wish I could put a, cut a trailer, but I don't have footage.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> but I know that we saw the first and um you know first cut of the um, the crowdfunding um, pitch videos, which looks good. Yes. So that that gives yep. everybody an indicator on what to expect. Um yeah. so, so we're at the the hour mark. What do you Is there anything I I'm talk, missing?
1: I, talk, uh, I could talk for hours. I know you can. I know <laughs> I had to
0: split up our first podcast episode in two parts cuz it was so so lengthy of information. Oh, it's fine. I don't mind. Um but I, I have to um You have is, a life, I understand. I do have a life. I have it's it's officially summertime up here and I promised my daughter I'd take her someplace and in in Portland um you know it's summer when you're blinded by the sun but I'm it's raining. That. But it's yeah. raining at the same time. I've never been to a place where I've been blinded by the sunlight and also been ra- dumped on by rain. So, that would anyway. be
1: Miami. That's Miami. It's Miami. <laughs> it's Miami sir. All the time. All the time. So, um, uh, so-
0: yeah, before we leave, I just curious like, is there any other like common things or common mistakes we see from filmmakers in you know when they're trying to get their film made through crowdfunding or when they finished it and they're putting it out you know up online that would just like cringeworthy? Like, oh my gosh, why? why does everyone still make these mistakes um, i think we cover most of it but if i'm missing something let me know or any um, like last you know well thoughts?
1: yeah I, I think the the big thing with crowdfunding is i chose seedandspark.com uh, as my crowdfunding platform as opposed to kickstarter or indiegogo the reasoning major reason why is they they i think have a
0: 78 like percent
1: 82% 70, eight, 78 to 82% success rate yeah um so the people who are on the site already are fans of film. That's all they do is film. Film, 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 film. They don't do anything else. They don't do the new Mm -hmm. pen that transforms into a robot that makes your coffee. They don't do any of that stuff. Uh, While Kickstarter and Indiegogo's campaigns for film are more like the 30% or 40% world, if that. So um, I chose Seed&Spark because of that. And they have a very unique platform as opposed to getting wish list stuff as opposed to like people could donate houses and gear and you know Mm -hmm. food and all that kind of stuff to the process so it's it's unique in that sense much more than kickstarter or indiegogo Mm -hmm. so i've never gone through a full campaign myself i'm gonna launch it on the 21st uh you guys saw the first video you had some notes for me which i am addressing and um we're gonna we're gonna send it out and see what happens uh i'm going to i I have no idea now i know
0: you in terms of like when you say like we're gonna send it out and see what happens. But no, I know you because you will be like, I will send it out, see what happens, and the reaction and the feedback we get, I will make adjustments. Oh, god, th- th- that's the, that's the difference of like somebody like oh, we made a film, we're gonna throw it up and see the, the film festivals and see what happens, and that's all they have. Like that's they, th- there's no like a uh, plan after that to adjust to the feedback they get. Like if they get like nothing happens, then they actually just nothing happens. I've seen so many filmmakers just stop at a point where it didn't go to plan. It, like the, the golden, you know, the, the red carpet wasn't laid out for them. Everything like that didn't happen. And they just sort of stop and they don't know where to go next. But no, I know you and like whatever happens is your indicator of how to adjust pivot to make the next move. So, mm-hmm. um,
1: Oh, there's no, there's no question. I've been, you know, running indiefilmhustle.com. dot com. I, i I've learned that technique and that skill very well is to pivot and learn. And I'm constantly looking at analytics and what's working and what doesn't work. And when something works, I double, triple and quadruple down on it, as you know. Uh, And when things don't work, I don't do it again. So uh, this is going to this won't be any different. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll see what works. I'll see what doesn't. I am hoping that my angle of the indie film syndicate will entice my audience. Um, to help because it's, tr- it's, it's obscene amounts of value. Like it's so ridiculous the amount of value it is. Even if I didn't do them, this is Meg stuff. I mean, you're getting access to 40 hours or so of online filmmaking courses as well as, uh, you know, a private group where you can talk and, and network with other filmmakers as well as, um, you know, doing webinars once a month where you could ask me questions, uh, things like that. It's an it's an immense amount of value for very little money. So, I think adding that plus being able to be a fly on the wall of a micro budget film in today's world with today's technology is, I mean, I like i said i would pay i'd pay 17 bucks a month for that i'd probably just buy the year off that because i would like to see the whole process i'd like to see the whole thing and see what you learn and you're gonna see warts and all what happens like i should be scared to death scott i really should be (laughs) i should be absolutely scared to death but Uh, i'm not and it's weird
0: you shouldn't you shouldn't i I, mean yeah i made a film without a crew a feature yeah, I feature film without a crew. That's it's in, yeah same yeah, here. You know <laughs> that's
1: where I'm at now. <laughs> so you're
0: yeah you're 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 you'll be fine. And it is it's liberating and actually unleashes stuff that in you that you didn't think was there. Like you start seeing things so uh, from a different perspective that uh, it's um, it's exciting. So I'm excited for you and I'm excited for because I know I just like I said I know you. So I definitely encourage people to check out indie film hustle as well as go to sign up. Um, for the indie film syndicate membership mm-hmm. because like you said there's going to be way way a lot way 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 a lot of value basically going to be available to everybody. So, I'll be there. I'll be in the in the community, so we'll see.
1: I know I I know. I know. I appreciate it, man. Mm-hmm. Like I said, man, it's 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 really like I said at the beginning of this, man. It's it's the second I took away all those limitations and those obstacles, it opened up so much that I can't even explain to you how insane it is. To the point now where just things are just kind of flowing and I'm just kind of moving along and it's weird. And like it's just <laughs> it's the weirdest feeling as a filmmaker to not feel this kind of pressure, not to feel like, you know, let's just do it, but I'm not doing it in a way that is haphazard. It's very strategic in the sense I'm doing it like I know where this is going. I have a, I have a clear plan. I'm not just completely shooting from the hip, but the process is, is it's within a structure. Mm -hmm. There's an outline to the entire madness as most it's organized chaos. It's what it is. It's organized chaos all the way to final output distribution of the movie. And I'm learning as I go, but it's just shifting. I'm constantly shifting things. So like, the first shoot i had in my china ball i'm like okay well you know it would be nice to have a little bit more light in these outside scenes okay well I'll, let's go look for that boom oh you know and i need to get a sound guy i'm like i'll use this mic and th- all this kind of stuff you know and, and i'm and it does help that i'm doing a lot of my own i mean i'm wearing i, I don't even know how i'm going to put the credits on <laughs> i do have i do have by the way if anybody ever wants to look up i do have two aliases i use uh on projects sometimes because i do um I do so many jobs on my films and on other people's films to the point where I just started. I created two aliases which have IMDb credits, which is <laughs> I submitted them to IMDb. So if you ever look up Mongo Wilder, <laughs> Mongo Wilder um, is a uh, is a colorist uh, and occasional <laughs> post production supervisor. And then my steady super, uh, my steady post production supervisor is um, Jalapeno Humperdink
0: no way Uh, are
1: you serious (laughs) look up jalapeno dick on imdb and you will see my movies attached to his credits and actually a few other ones that are not my movies because i just it just it just got stupid after a while to just see the same name again and again and again and again and so i just kind of started making up names and then it kind of stuck now so those are my aliases for anybody uh interested to see if like did he really get that up on imdb yes
0: Oh my god, that's too funny! I, the, the the Coen Brothers, right? They edit their movies under an Alias, don't
1: they? I had no idea. I had no idea Steven Soderbergh shot all of his movies. Yeah, he has another. He has an alias, alias for that, right? And the Coen Brothers edit all their movies, and it's different editing. There's a different. A different a, there's an editor. Yeah. yeah, different name that edits all those movies. So it's just you know, it's just the way they roll. And uh, you know, I I'm hoping to go down the, that path. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Awesome. awesome so is there anything else uh, any last minute um, sort of you know stuff you want big, or just send everybody to indie film hustle and there'll be enough stuff IndieFilmHustle.com so they can find out more information or this is meg.com is the film right?
1: Yeah, so the the this is where the plugs come in. Okay. Give uh, us the plugs. We wrap it. Right, up. <laughs> so wrap it up cuz you got to go out with your daughter. Um we've got indiefilmhustle.com which is the hub for everything. Uh, if you go to indiefilmhustle.com you will find information on everything else you need. Um I also have film schools there, uh, online courses and all that other stuff. Then we have indiefilm syndicate.com. Which will take you directly to the Indie Film Syndicate membership site where you can sign up directly if you like um, to the Indie Film Syndicate and that's going to be ongoing. So anytime there's a new course created by Indie Film Hustle um, or I create partnerships with other courses, uh, other instructors, which I'm actually bringing in like previews of these other courses so you can add more content to the site and more value to the the members uh, i'll be doing that as well and then there is the this is meg.com this is meg.com will be during the campaign directly aimed at seed and sparks uh campaign page where you can uh, be a backer and we really greatly appreciate it and if you want to come on the ride to see how we either make it or screw this up <laughs> uh, it's gonna be entertaining either way uh, and then after that, This Is Meg will go – This Is Meg.com will go to the This Is Meg.com website, uh, an actual official website for the movie. And we are on Twitter, uh, This Is Meg Film, at This Is Meg Film. And I think on Facebook, I will create it at This Is Meg Film. But if you type This Is Meg, it should come up. Nice, nice. I think that's enough of the plugging. I, I'm good. I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show, Scott. I really appreciate. it. It's always a pleasure talking to you.
0: Oh yeah, no problem. I've, it's it's so funny as us talking because we talk uh, every week. Weekly. This is weekly, yeah, we, so <laughs> it's like weird. It's like, oh yeah, recording now. Okay, fine. <laughs> I think so. I and then when creative. we started, you're like, are we starting right now? Yeah, we're starting. Fine.
1: All right? All you all were right, asking for an
0: intro. You're like, wait, don't you do an intro? I go, I do the intro later.
1: <laughs> it's just how you roll, Scott. And then how I do an roll. outro
0: later too. All right, And my by friend. the
1: way, by by the way, everybody listening, Scott is a, a gem of a uh, of, of a not only of a man, ah. but of uh, but of a website and what he does. He does it with such so much heart. But I'm telling you something that you guys already know. Because if you're listening to Film Trooper, you know that Scott is like one of the best in the business. So uh, I I love him and I love having love being on the show. And God bless you all, you <laughs> Film Troopers.
0: <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much.
1: Hey thanks brother. Cool. And that concludes my interview
0: with Alex Ferrari of Indie Film Hustle and his new film This is Meg at thisismeg.com and Alex is too funny. He <laughs> reminds me of like Vince Vaughn. I don't know if you've ever heard the story where John Favreau had this show uh called like Dinner for 5 where he brought in filmmakers and actors and he would just sit and eat, you know, meals and smoke cigars and in this round table forum just talk about film and film stories. And he had um, Timothy Oliphant on, and they were sharing this story about um, the premiere of Go. Since the movie Go was directed by Doug Lyman who also directed Swingers, that gave the fame to Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. Um, anyhow, at the premiere, I guess it was like Vince Vaughn was uh, talking to Tim- Timothy Oliphant saying, essentially like, no, my friend, this, tonight is your night. Baby, it's your night tonight. Your night. What are you drinking? I'm going to get, what are you drinking? I'll take care of you. So he was taking care of Timothy that way, and he left to go get him a drink and never returned. Oh. So, <laughs> that's just sort of Vince Vaughn's way of, you know, screwing with, uh, <laughs> just screwing with people. And uh, actually, you know, speaking of Swingers and Doug Lyman, I I always love this story because what people think is that Swingers was John Favreau's first film as well as Doug Lyman. And, you know, Doug Lyman went on to do Go and then he created the Born Identity series. He did Mister and Mrs. Smith. He did um, oh that Tom Cruise movie, the the sci fi one where they go back in time. He he relives a day, Groundhog Day, over over and over. It's it's hard because that uh, Edge of Tomorrow, I think it was. But the funny thing is, the poster keeps kept saying not Edge to, Edge of Tomorrow. The poster would read Live Die Repeat. So I don't know what the name of the movie is. Anyhow. The interesting thing about that is that Doug Liman apparently had a feature film that he had made already that wasn't very good, and he never showed it to anybody. It never went anywhere. So when he approached John Favreau and said, "Look, I can raise two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make this movie, Swingers." However, instead of trying to make the two hundred fifty dollars look like a million dollar movie, which a lot of films back then try to do, and they always fall short, just because they just n- never quite had the resources. So something always felt off when somebody watched it. So his concept was to go opposite. He'll take the $250,000 that he could raise. I think he got the money through his dad and so on. However, he took that money and he told John Favreau, but let's try to make it look like a $25,000 film. And this is on the heels of Kevin Smith's Clerks, which was made for reportedly $25,000. So the idea is that if you have enough money if you have like $250,000 but you're trying to make it look like a $25,000 film, then you have the latitude, you have the resources to go to Vegas, to film in Vegas, to shoot uh, bigger party scenes, to, to do all these types of things. But the, the, the grit of it makes it look like a $25,000 film and it sort of works in your favor. And that's something to think about if you are you know, approaching your micro-budget film. Maybe you want it to look like a film that was shot for $5,000, but maybe you have more money, but that extra money allows all these other things you can do with it. Anyhow, it's just a thought, and I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. And of course, you probably know about Alex already, but if you haven't, please go check out Indie Film Hustle. He really puts the hustle in everything he does, and I'm sure This Is Meg is going to be another uh, interesting and successful film project uh, moving forward. But, as always, before you leave, I don't want you to go away empty-handed. If you are stuck trying to make your film right now, then I invite you to go to freegearguide.com to pick up an equipment list of everything that I use to make a feature film for $500 without a crew. Talk about (laughs) micro-budget. Talk about filmmaking freedom. There's the freedom not to have to worry about anybody stopping you from doing what you want to do, which is to make a film, even if you don't have a crew. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. It's my free gift to you. And again, thank you so much for sticking around and listening to this episode of the Film Trooper Podcast. And I will see you next time. Film Trooper, filmmaking freedom for the independent.